Well, someone asked me recently, Dan, are you a pastor? I'll tell you my response in a minute. Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, this is Dan Miller, and welcome to the 48 Days Radio Show. If you're a new listener, you may be wondering why 48 days. Well, it comes from a little marketing technique we used years ago where in sharing with people about how to find work you love, how to create work you love, I became frustrated with recognizing how long it took some people to figure that out. And I thought, there's got to be a timeline here. So we borrowed from what was becoming a popular TV show, 48 Hours, the number 48. I just did it just to try it, just to have fun with it. And it was so powerful that we continued to use it now for many years. But I do think 48 days is enough time to assess where you are, get the advice and opinion of other successful, brilliant people around you, choose the best alternatives, do a little bit more research, choose one and take action. And that has to do with any major decision that you have to make. Thus, the 48 days. Well, we're going to be talking about questions that people submit and also unpacking the idea about being a pastor. Here's some of the questions we'll be looking at. Dan, I'm in my mid-50s, and I'm a lifelong photographer. Unfortunately, photography is now a super-saturated field and very low-paying. All right, we'll go from there. We'll unpack that. What do you do if you're in a profession that's really no longer viable, if it's gotten kind of stale, if it's not what it used to be? We'll look at some options. Dan, where can I get training on becoming a bookkeeper? Well, I've got some resources for you. If you want to be a bookkeeper or a whole lot of other things, we've got some resources to help you get on that path. What's the best way to market my how-to process on paying for college by only using scholarships? And then I'm going to give you some tips on how to become a pastor to everyone that you meet. Well, our quotation for today comes from Napoleon Hill. You'll see it in reference to one of the questions where I'm going to unpack it a little bit more. But Napoleon Hill said, every adversity, every failure, every heartache carries with it the seed of an equal or greater benefit. Now, that's pretty applicable right now when people are seeing all around us adversity, failures, heartaches, changes in the workplace, businesses that are closing down. Do you really believe that every one of those carries with it the seed of an equal or greater benefit? Well, if you have the mindset to expect that, guess what typically happens? Another person who had a lot of wisdom out there, Henry Ford, said, whether you think you can or think you can't, you're right. And that's pretty much true in this case as well. If you see all the things that are happening around us as just closed doors everywhere, then you're going to just experience nothing but closed doors. If you see those closed doors as, whoa, there must be another door here somewhere that's going to open up into a, a brighter future than I ever had, guess what? That's what you're likely to find as well. Well, our resource then for today is an entrepreneur readiness quiz. We have a lot of you who, because of all the changes that are taking place right now, are thinking, Maybe it's time to do something where you put yourself in the driver's seat, where you're not vulnerable to a business that closed down. 
You're not vulnerable to changes that the government may make. You know, you're not vulnerable to some big corporation out there that may be going through a tough time. Well, if you want to take the entrepreneurial readiness quiz, we've got it for you. Just go to 48days.com slash entrepreneur. Free little quiz there. You can just check out what's happened there. Well, I want to start out by unpacking this. Dan, are you a pastor? And I think it's applicable for all of you who are listening. If you're regular listeners of this podcast, I know you'll resonate with this because here's what happened. I was meeting with a conference organizer and his team just before speaking to a group. I was going to speak to a group of 450 auto shop owners. Really interesting group. I love the opportunity, but I was meeting with them just for a planning session. And I was describing that later that evening, I was going to have some people at my place and we were going to spend the next two days just brainstorming, kind of unpacking ideas together. I didn't call it a mastermind. I didn't call it anything. I just described that I was going to have a group of about 30 people at my place for the next two days and what we were going to be doing. And a lady leaned over and says, Dan, are you a? And I didn't understand her. She had a very heavy British accent and I didn't understand her. And I heard it say two more times. And finally, I realized what she was asking is, Dan, are you a pastor? Well, then in having heard her question, I found myself hesitating in responding. Am I a pastor? I mean, how could I best describe that group that I was going to be sharing life with over the next two days as we open up about our challenges, our victories, our fears, our confidence, our encouragement to each other, our gentle questioning of our goals and dreams? And after a brief pause, I said, no. This is like a mastermind where we go deep in defining the purpose, direction, and actions of our lives while getting the caring input of other members. But that lady's question continued to ring in my ears. Dan, are you a pastor? So I did a little bit of research. Now, this is, please bear with me here. This is not to in any way diminish the education that's required. For many of you who may have the term pastor after your name, it's not to diminish that in any way, but it's to look at really what do people think of when they think of a pastor. So I did a little bit of research about the characteristics of seven commonly agreed upon traits that we would expect in a pastor. Number one, integrity. I mean, discerning what's right and wrong, doing the right thing in a reliable way. I mean, having a moral compass that doesn't change or waver. A pastor who deserves to be followed, has impeccable character, and those around him can attest to that. Well, number two is humility. Now, what I want you to be thinking about is, you know, how many of these things are true for you? And which of those do you require in somebody that you're going to learn from, that you want to sit under their teaching? So number one is integrity. Number two, humility. I mean, a lot of leaders tend to be assertive types. They're the type A, the high Ds. You know, they have great tempers. But if they're really a leader, they're going to lead with genuine humility, a gentle spirit. The best generally see themselves as serving others, look for ways to put others' needs ahead of their own. So that's something that we would expect in the pastor is humility. Number three is passion. Leaders truly believe in what they're doing. Their commitment goes beyond just having knowledge and ability. They care deeply about leading well. And they have the ability to inspire others to new ways of thinking and acting. 
and they exhibit a faith that is solid, but also an enthusiasm that's contagious and optimistic. Well, number four, I listed as vision. And pastors see things others don't. And they point out opportunities that others miss. They see potential solutions others walk past. They offer insights to help expand possibilities. Pastor must be able to share a vision, but also provide organization and structure to keep people on a common path to reach that. All right, number five is perseverance. Pastors recognize there will always be challenges and obstacles to accomplishing great things, but they don't allow temporary setbacks to block their commitment to the long-term goals. Well, number six, compassion. Pastors do shepherd and care for those who are struggling. They have a strong ability to initiate conversations that guide the other person into personal understanding and to lift their confidence for walking into a better life. They listen well, so others feel heard and valued. They guard against gossip, criticism, complaining, divisiveness, belittling. They show love and devotion to the others in the group and find ways to encourage and correct members who need guidance and spiritual direction. Then seven, I listed as teaching. Great leaders know how to encourage others. They constantly praise others and build them up. They love to help others succeed and be their best. They exercise restraint and criticism, but don't hesitate to speak the truth in love. Successful leaders mentor others and help others hear God's call, a unique call for them. So there you have it. Those are the characteristics that we expect of a pastor. Now, aside from academic education, credentials, degrees, and all of that, these are the characteristics people are looking for. And if you exhibit these characteristics, people are likely to see you as a, a mentor, a counselor, a coach, or even a pastor. And that term does come up. So again, those seven were integrity, humility, passion, vision, perseverance, compassion, and teaching. So when I look up the etymology of the word pastor, I find in the original Latin, herdsman, shepherd, one who looks after the needs of the flock, one who watches over or guides others. So I suspect that my hesitation in responding to the lady's question comes from my desire to live out these characteristics. And if you're hearing this, I'm pretty confident you do as well. So I'm going to suggest that we be pastors and use our opportunities to lead well. Well, I'd welcome your comments on that. Just, you know, go to the podcast page at 48days.com. Welcome your comments on that. I don't want to, again, overstep what that term means, but it sure made me think and made me want the characteristics that we truly want to see and expect in somebody who we call a pastor. All right, let's jump into some questions here. Jason says, Jason from Birmingham says, I can remember you gave an example once about the decades in your life and your corresponding career during those years. Uh, for example, in your 50s, you should capitalize on your experiences, et cetera. Does this ring any bells? I can't seem to find the quote anywhere. But if I remember correctly, it included your 20s through your 60s, Jason. Well, Jason, it prompted me to do a little bit of research. There's, there's a whole lot of, and I know I have gone through this before. There's a whole lot of things out there. Um, golly, Stephen Covey talks about, you know, five defining moments that we have in our lives and five defining people 
five defining decisions. So there's those kind of ways to look at stages. But there's a whole lot of people who have written. And Eric Erickson, the psychologist, wrote about the seven stages of life from kind of a psychosocial frame of reference. Uh, John Acuff, in his book, Start, talked about these decades that we go through. But I've put together just kind of uh, comments where I've ex- I keep extending it as I age personally. I think, wow, I want to have something significant I'm doing even beyond my 60s. So I'm probably going to add decades onto that. So here's what I'm going to share with you. These are the stages of life as it relates to career. Now, again, I thank you for your question. My gosh, Jason, I mean, these kind of questions from you, the listeners, do prompt me to create a framework. What we're doing right now and what I've got in the new 20th anniversary edition of 48 Days to the Work and Life You Love is a section on how to use 15 hours a week to build a business. Because somebody asked me how they can build a side business when they don't have 40 hours a week to spend, when they still have a a regular job. So I developed that. It's become a real core concept for people in our community. Same thing is true here. I love the question because it prompts me to go look and figure this out and kind of identify those stages. So here's what I have at this point. Learning in your 20s. This is a decade in your 20s where you try lots of things to see which ones motivate you. Not many things you could do in your 20s that I would consider mistakes. That's a time for trying a lot of things and just seeing you know, what it is that you really do enjoy. So then in the 30s, I call that experimenting. This is a decade where you sort out your interests and really your friends as well to eliminate the ones that don't fit who you are and where you're going. So that's experimenting in your 30s. In your 40s, mastering. This is a decade where you focus on those things you've kept after your experimenting process. You're developing your skills and becoming an expert at them. Then in your 50s, I call this reaping. This is a period, the decade, where you reap the rewards of the decisions you've made in the previous decades and create systems to reach your highest earning potential. It was in my 50s where I took experiences I had, mistakes I made, critical mistakes that I made, and focused those into doing the things that I do today. The writing, speaking, coaching, the material, the content in 48 days, that was all done in my 50s. So very, very common, reaping in the 50s. The 60s, this is a decade of guiding, the decade where you mentor others with the wisdom you gained in prior years and leverage your major life message. 70s, this is where you leave a legacy. This is a decade where you put things in place that are going to live on when you're no longer here. Now, that's usually where people stop. But, you know, I'm going to keep adding decades beyond that. I intend to be around a long time, and I see a whole lot of other productive people who are. So we're going to add another decade to this, the 80s. This is where I see you maximizing your zone of genius. The decade where you spend 75% of your time doing the one thing you do best. So again, just a quick recap. In your 20s, you're learning. In your 30s, you're experimenting. In your 40s, you're mastering. In your 50s, you're reaping. Your 60s, you're guiding. Your 70s, leaving a legacy. Your 80s, you're maximizing your zone of genius. 
Now, this got me excited as I kind of thought back through this again and started identifying more. And believe me, I'm going to add 90s and hundreds on this because of people that I see who are productive, you know, like Peter Drucker and others who are productive way beyond even their 80s. But again, thanks for your question, Jason. Gal, I love these kind of things that prompt my own thinking to create a framework for how we can think productively about issues like this, the stages in our career, stages in our life. Again, if you got questions, it's a great time to just remind you that these are real life questions that come in from you, the listeners. If you've got a question, just shoot it into me at askdan at 48days.com. And the quickest way to get a question reviewed by me, send it to askdan at 48days.com. Now, here's a question from Pat who says, do you have anything that will help somebody like me? I'm in my mid-50s and a lifelong photographer. Unfortunately, photography is now a super-saturated field and very low-paying. Over 10 years ago, I began looking to switch careers. I went to job fairs, did several career career assessments, and got some career counseling. Those assessments and counseling always pointed me toward careers I had no formal training in, things I would have had to go back to school for. With young children in the picture, we had neither the funds nor the time to send me back to school. The career assessments pointed me to things that were still relatively low paying, and the acquired education debt would take a long time to pay off. They were fine careers for someone in their early 20s, but not fine for someone in their mid to upper 40s who already had children to feed and care for. When I looked at exploring career options outside my gifts and abilities, I struggled and flopped. Despite working hard, I saw little success and slow growth. I eventually went back to photography. My current position doesn't pay much, but at least I get the job done right. So what can you offer me? A 54-year-old with ADD, attention deficit, who has two kids under age 11 at home. If you can help me, you can help anybody. Thank you, Pat. Well, Pat, thanks for your question. And yes, I can help you. I love the setup that you've got. All right, let's look at this because this has an application for a lot of you others listening as well. But we're going to talk to Pat, who is a photographer. So photography has changed. Oh, my gosh. I mean, think about it. You used to have a wedding and the photographer would show up with massive equipment you know, tripods with these big, heavy cameras, and then the reflector screens behind there and lights and everything. Now what happens? Everybody's a photographer. You have a wedding, you have 80 people who are taking pictures with their iPhones, where you can get phenomenal photographs, and most people can't tell the difference if it was done by a professional or just somebody who happened to get lucky and get a really good shot. So yeah, it's changed traditionally, traditional, photography and change dramatically traditional photography. So you say now it's a super saturated field and very low paid. All right. Yes, it is indeed. However, I want to give you a little story here and then give you some examples because I think you're taking the wrong approach to this. JP Morgan was one of those American multi-multi-millionaires. He made his millions in oil. And the reason he made millions and millions in oil is because he specialized in producing kerosene. Why? Because the entire nation 
was being lit up with kerosene lamps. I mean, streets, homes, companies, everywhere. They were adding lights as fast as they could get them built that operated on kerosene. He produced the kerosene. He had a monopoly on that. He created his own transportation system. He bypassed the railroads by building pipelines across the country. Guy was incredibly wealthy because he produced kerosene and really the only one who did. Then some dude named Thomas Edison came along and invented this thing called electricity. Electricity. So now we had lights that used a totally different system. They did not require kerosene at all. J.P. Morgan saw that this was the end of his big business selling kerosene. So he's out of business. Just like photography, it changed. There's no longer the need for what he had. Well, that's not really the rest of the story. What else was happening right at this same time? There was another guy named Henry Ford who was paving the way to mass-produce cars. What did it take to run cars? Gasoline. Now, this was not what J.P. Morgan was producing, but guess what a byproduct is of producing and extracting kerosene from oil? The byproduct is gasoline. Do you realize that gasoline was seen as a useless excess product that was literally just poured out as waste? They would literally pour it out. Now, certainly you couldn't do that today with all of our environmental concerns and knowledge, but they were doing that. They would extract the kerosene and pour the gasoline out or just burn it off because it was just waste. But all of a sudden, it was exactly what was needed as the product for the success of the automobile. So instead of providing for kerosene lamps that provided light, he switched, took another approach in extracting the product from oil that he had access to and produced gasoline for cars. Totally different direction, but still using the unique skills and access to product that he had. Now, this is where we go back to our quotation for today from Napoleon Hill. Every adversity, every failure, every heartache carries with it the seed of an equal or greater benefit. Pat, you can do the same thing with photography. Traditional photography has changed. But I think you're looking at it wrong. You say that every time you go away from that, you're disappointed, you're frustrated, and you tend to come back to photography. Look for new opportunities in photography. Let me give you just a couple quick ones here. And then you can do your own exploration because you ought to be able to come up with 15 things that you could do that not everybody else is doing. Things that are not just low paid, but here's a couple quick examples. Vincent Puglisi, you've heard me mention him before. Great example of what you can do when you see your own industry with new eyes. Vincent was a video journalist. So he would go out or, or photographer, journalist, whatever it was called. But he would go out and take pictures. He would take pictures primarily of sporting events. That's what he was known for, kind of his area of specialty. So he'd take pictures, and then he'd write up the story, and then he'd get his little commission for writing that you know, for the local paper that he was a part of. And he, he was being paid a very, very meager salary. But he enjoyed doing what he was doing. And he thought, well, you know, it's changed. You know, they pay less and less. You know, media doesn't have the kind of hold that it used to be. Uh, 
newspapers don't sell like they used to. So I need to find a new career path to go on. Well, he came to one of our events and we kind of brainstormed together. And Vincent's a creative kind of guy. And he went home and thought, maybe I'm looking at this wrong. And what he did was put together a little course teaching parents how to take those incredible photographs of their kids just when they're kicking the winning soccer goal or just when the bat hits the ball you know, or the, the expression on a child's face just when they come through the tape winning the race that they just went. How to capture those moments that you preserve forever. Well, he put that out on a Friday night as a course that he did. He didn't, it wasn't a fancy course. He did some little videos himself, just teaching people how to walk through that process. But he put that up as a course. And in 48 hours, literally in two days, he made more money from that course than he'd ever made from his salary in his regular job. Now, that's how you take what has been in the past and look with new eyes for where the future is to open up a new opportunity. That's what you do. David Molnar, another guy, a great young guy, but well, he and Vincent are about the same age. Anyway, he was a photographer, celebrity photographer. So he would travel with some of the greats, you know, some of the rock stars, celebrities out there. He would travel with them. Well, you know, he and Tammy were newly married. They had a couple new kids. And he didn't like the idea that he had to be on the road all the time. And he thought, well, what can I do that would allow me to embrace my knowledge, my experience, my training as a photographer, but would get me off the road? Do I have to choose a new career? No, you don't. So what he did is he put together some courses for people on just how to be great photographers, what kind of equipment to use. I mean, he did a lot of um, training for people who had the older equipment. And as the equipment has changed, he's changed his courses. So now instead of DSLR or whatever the old cameras are, you know, now he trains people how to use their iPhone 10 and how to you know, control the lighting, get really good shots, but he just keeps training, changing his training as the technology changes. But rather than trying to keep things the way they were, he just looks at new opportunities still based on drawing what it is where he has so much knowledge and expertise. And Pat, I, I'm totally convinced you can do the same. Uh, rather than just saying, okay, it's not the way that was, that's true. But don't walk away from the thing that you're passionate about that you understand and know just do a new, just move in a new direction. I had a business one time years ago where I was doing accessories on cars. You know, we were doing the pinstriping, the door edge guard, the wheel up molding. Then we're doing running boards and brush guards and sunroofs and all that. And it was during one of those times when there was a, oh, there was like a gasoline shortage where all of a sudden there wasn't gasoline and all the gas guzzlers, you know, shut down. Nobody was buying motor homes and it really changed the auto industry. And my mom was really concerned, you know, what's going to happen to you because you focus on, on cars and all of a sudden cars aren't selling. We, we did cars for, or we did work for new car dealers in that business. So that was our focus. Well, as sales slowed down, she was really concerned about my welfare and livelihood. And I said, mom, don't worry. If people stop buying cars, I'll just start doing the same things I'm doing on buggies. Because people are always going to figure out transportation in some way or another. And if we stop using cars and go back to horses and buggies, I'm going to be decorating those buggies. Well, 
if you take that kind of approach, I think you'll find opportunities where it still embraces what it is you love and know about. Great question. All right, Lindsay says, a friend introduced my husband and me to you several months ago. My husband read your book and recently found a new career he's really enjoying. I currently stay at home with our two kiddos and teach ESL classes online. I've recently started looking at doing bookkeeping on the side. My husband suggested I go to your website for help. I was curious if you had any bookkeeping training programs you recommended, and if so, which ones? Thanks in advance for your time. Well, yes, I do. Do we have those on our site? No, we don't. But here's the deal. I mean, I, I love being a resource to help point you in a direction. Now, one of our sponsors on the podcast is LinkedIn Learning. If you go to linkedinlearning.com slash days, it will open you up to a ton of training. I looked at that a little bit ago, and there are 210 courses for bookkeeping. You can choose through that rich assortment there what fits you. If you're just starting out and you want to position yourself as a bookkeeper, there's a course you can take. You know, if you're a little more experienced and you want to know how to be an expert with QuickBooks or one of the financial data that you have out there, you know, then you can do that. There's no way in the world it would be practical for us to host that many options for every possible career choice. So we direct you to, and I'm going to do that in this case, direct you to sources like LinkedIn Learning, where you can go there. You can also go to Udemy. There's a lot of other places out there, Career Live or Creative Live um, with Chase Jarvis. And there's a, there's a lot of sources out there where you can just find a course that will position you as a bookkeeper. Yeah, again, great question. We want to be a resource to point you in the right direction, but we certainly can't be the end result for training in every possible career direction. Michelle says, several years ago, you provided me some great feedback in my first venture into writing, The Discovery Journal by Michael S. Williams. Well, the second project has been 10 years in the making since the self-publishing route was not economically viable. I created a how-to for parents on a step-by-step -step program on how to pay for college through scholarships based on the actual results that we had with our daughter and others we have helped. I was wondering if you had any ideas for me to get this product in front of people who will actually purchase it. Again, I've created a product that people who have purchased it are complimentary and excited about, but can't seem to get it in front of the marketing aspects of development. Any ideas would be appreciated. All right. Now, this, this is a, a great setup. Michael, I commend you on uh, coming up with a second product like that. You said that you came out with your first writing project, the Discovery Journal. And now you have a, this second project, helping parents with a step-by-step -step process on how to pay for college through scholarship. Love the content. You know, love the focus. Certainly a need out there as college costs increase. And we hear more and more horror stories about students coming out with a degree, uh, sometimes not really easy to use degree, but uh, also coming with a lot of college debt. Certainly not a good place for kids to start out. How to do that without going into debt. All right. So let's go back to you having a product. Now this has, and you also reference that um, Self-publishing route was not economically viable. I'm not sure what exactly you mean by that, but I, I suspect that you would like to be able, as a lot of people do, you know, would like to be able to write a book and get it out there, not spend any money and get it out there. Here's my caution in that. 
Launching a book is like starting other any other business. I mean, you would not start a landscaping service without buying a lawnmower, a weed eater, and a bar. You wouldn't position yourself as a bookkeeper, like our previous question, without taking some courses, buying a computer, and having the latest financial software. Don't try to write a book and launch it unless you approach it as a true business. Now, here's why you have to expand how you see launching a book. Mark Victor Hansen, a wonderful, wonderful mentor of mine, the co-author of Chicken Soup for the Soul, uh, told me years and years ago when I went to one of his conferences, on, it was called Megabook University, and it totally transformed how I was selling the first three-ring binder versions of 48 Days. I came back and in the next 18 months sold over $2 million worth of that product based on what I learned from Mark Victor Hansen. But here's what he said. He said, everybody wants to write a book. And he said, I encourage people, write a book, do a really good job, write a book. All right, now that you're finished writing, you're 10% finished. 10% is writing a great book. 90% is building a business to get that message out. Don't try to rest on the 10%. You'll do nothing but frustrate yourself. So let's come back to this. In starting a business, that business being writing a great book that people are going to be able to know about, I would suggest a budget of three to $5,000. If you don't budget three to $5,000, don't write a book, unless you just want it to be something that you do for your own enjoyment, give it to a few friends. But if you really want to launch a book, budget three to $5,000. Here's how you can do it with $3,000. $1,600 for a good editor. That would be a minimum. Most editors are going to charge by the word, it's going to be tough to have a full-length book that you get done for $1,600. But let's say $1,600 for an editor, $400 for an interior layout, $300 for cover design. That leaves you $700 for marketing. That's a really bare-bones budget to get a book out. Now, most people, if they are, let's say they're a well-known speaker, or some kind of celebrity, so people would know their name, or a politician, and they want to get a book out, they're usually going to budget fifty dollars to $80,000 just to launch a book. Now, that isn't required for everybody, but it is a business. And if you want to do it, then recognize it as such. Now, here's what you can do to get the message out there. And I'll, you know, I'll, I'll give you some tips on how to do that. Take your little how-to, and I don't know what form you've got it in now, but I'm assuming you've got it maybe in a short book. Make it a simple course as well. Make it a course that people can buy for $37. Make it a course for $17. $17 is kind of a sweet spot for us. We find that people really jump to $17. And then every once in a while, we have a $10 sale. My goodness, people buy anything at $10. But anyway, have make it be a, a simple course that you can have available for people. Give people multiple ways to experience your how-to so they're not forced into just one way to purchase that. Then also volunteer to speak. Have a 20-minute presentation. And then contact every Rotary and Civic Club within 50 miles where you are. You can do three of those a week, and you can explode the success you have by leading people to that little product that you've got. 
be an interesting guest on podcasts and radio shows. I mean, you borrow the audience of established, credible hosts and can get instant access to people interested in your unique approach to paying for college. Now, I would encourage you to have two steps to that, where when you are a guest or when you are speaking, that you have a free resource that you give away. You notice that every time I do this podcast, we have a free resource. Today's was the Entrepreneur Readiness Quiz, 48days.com slash entrepreneur. That I always have. What do you think that does? That puts everybody on our radar so we then have the opportunity to show you other things that we have. So it's a nurture sequence. It's not just here's an opportunity to buy, buy or don't buy. No, just come on into our community and we'll start giving you helpful resources. And ultimately, you may be comfortable purchasing something that we have. So I would encourage you to do that as well. Now, I mentioned being on a podcast. I mean, that is a powerful, powerful way to get the word out there about what it is you're doing. Be an interesting guest. I mean, have a a really compelling story about somebody who went through college, who wouldn't have been able to go through otherwise, but went through, came out with a degree and no student loan debt at all. I mean, that's going to grab people who are listening. But have something that when you are on a podcast, you are going to give away as a free tip sheet that then leads them to the course or the book, the seminar, the workshop, that however, whatever form you have that in, that's going to lead them to that. I'm doing a lot of podcast interviews right now because we're just launching the 20th anniversary edition of 48 Days. I just did a couple earlier today. So here's an example. If you go to 48days.com slash Justin, J-U-S-T-I-N, you're going to see a landing page that we create for every single podcast that I do. But it's personalized. This is with Dr. Justin Mosley. And so you'll see on there special bonuses for friends of Dr. Justin Mosley. So again, at 48days.com slash Justin, just as an example of the kind of things that you can do to give away to start getting people in that funnel. See, this is a process, not just one-time transaction, but a process. And then see this as a way that you're gaining names where you your next product you'll come out with. You can go back to those people again and again and again. This is exactly the way that I've built the audience that we have. And one of those ways was doing a weekly newsletter. You might consider doing that. Or where you blog about the idea of being in debt in college. And you start building an audience, start building a list with that. Those are some ways you can certainly do this to get your message out there. Don't require a lot of money, but again, don't try to do it with a zero budget. You'll frustrate yourself. Be willing to invest as you start seeing the financial returns from what it is that you're selling. Well, with that, we're going to wrap up this edition of the 48 Days Podcast. I hope these questions have been interesting to you and informative that you are shaping your own path in this process. If you have questions, be sure to just shoot those into me at askdan at 48days.com. Hey, remember our quotation for today from Napoleon Hill. Every adversity, every failure, every heartache, carries with it the seed of an equal or greater benefit. That's one of those foundational principles that I read years and years ago when I was just a kid, a teenager, 
but it stayed with me all these years and I really believe that. When I have an obstacle or something looks like a failure, I'm immediately looking for, okay, where is that equal or greater benefit that this is opening the door for? What does this make possible? Well, thanks for being part of this growing community of people who are achieving more, doing more, having more, being more, giving more, serving more as a result of understanding the gifts God has given us and how to put legs on those every Monday morning, knowing that we can, without a doubt, find or create work that is meaningful, purposeful, and profitable. They don't settle for a lot.